Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hi, hi, hi. Okay, on today's podcast, I have Sarah Durham-Wilson, Sarah of Magdalene, and we had such a good talk. I have this feeling that we're, you know, sort of old witch sisters from another life because I laughed and laughed, and I just felt like this is the kind of deep, beautiful woman that I'd love to sit and have tea or wine or a long hike with for hours and tell stories to each other, and... um yeah, it was a really heartfelt, deep, vulnerable, friendly, fun podcast. So enjoy. I am so happy today to have Sarah Durham Wilson on the podcast. Um, this is a woman that I admire, respect, and I'm just really happy to support her as her book is coming out this year. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, I feel the same way about you. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like, you know, when I think about who I want to have on this podcast, which is like, it's kind of like a burgeoning, blossoming podcast. It's yeah. so new, but mainly people that inspire me um, and people that have touched my life. So, you know, it's a bit of a range. Sometimes I'm like, wow, there's so many different types of people that I invite on here. Mm -hmm. um, and the through line really is like, I'm people that I admire or am inspired by. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you have your first book coming out and I can't wait to talk about it with you and to dive into your work. And I'd love to start with just a little bit about your background, where you grew up, kind of your, you know, your short bio. And then there's some questions where I'd like to dive deeper into that as well. But you can, you can just start by telling us a little bit who you are now so that people who are listening have context for where we're, where we're off to in the podcast. I grew up in Virginia, which is crazy to me because I have no affiliation. I feel no, I have dear friends from there, but the South is definitely like all Pluto area for me, just Traumaville. <laughs> um, and then New York City, my first job was at Rolling Stone. I Then I worked up like the Condé Nast ladder. And I, then I, you know, I, I was the black sheep at the country club of like Vanity Fair and stuff. So then I headed over to... Soho and worked at Interview Magazine, met a musician that I adored. And this was pre-Witch Awakening. So pre any kind of like calling in or manifestation, but like, you know, looking back, like I had this huge crush on this rock star and all I thought about was him. And I worked in rock and roll. I was a rock and roll journalist. So like, it was like, you know, I did. Okay. Can you tell us who he is? Oh, well, he's in the book. His name is Tim Casher. He was, okay. um, Okay. Yeah, he was like, in, he was in like the bright eyes scene and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, I just loved <laughs> emo. I loved like, I didn't really, I didn't know any of these terms back then, but I loved like, like my inner masculine is like Eddie Vedder or something. Like, so like, you know, can scream their heart out and they feel and they bleed. And it's like, yeah. I love you so much. It's killing me. You know, <laughs> I, yeah, but, I definitely yeah. went for some of those types. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um so that was tim was like that you know screaming wow. songs about me and stuff. and like so that. you guys were living in new york city you were an editor <laughs> at interview no i met him 
when okay. he was coming through on tour yeah. um, at the Bowery Ballroom. And he lived in Nebraska. And I, oh, I right, because that scene. What was the name of that record label? It was Nebraska. It was in Nebraska. Yeah, right? on the Saddle Creek. Yeah. The Saddle Creek scene. That was that was his scene. Yeah, so yeah. My my college roommate, who's still one of my close friends, was like obsessed with bright eyes, like obsessed to the point of she took a train to New Jersey and she waited there and she waited afterwards and just like oh it was. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Connor was the king of that scene and Tim was like second in command. Okay, cool. So, yeah. So yeah, we yeah, partied very intimately with that scene for about five years. Yeah. Um, but that's all I did. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do anything else. With and you were life. still working at the magazine at that no. point. Oh, okay. I lived my entire life for this <gasps> love. Oh my gosh, so you left your New York. York. Like blew up all the bridges, gave two weeks notice. <gasps> Went to Nebraska with this guy after knowing him for a month or something, but falling deeply in love and all that. So, yeah. And then, um, (laughs) and and then like the descent into my sat again, didn't know it was my Saturn return. So like an utter descent into just like Courtney love meets like late Klonop, late stage Klonop and Stevie Nicks, you know, but like just with, with no, like, you know, incredible music career or anything just um all <laughs> all these like hopes of you know, like all, like all the potential of a 28 year old dashed like I was only walking potential and then I didn't even it was clear that I mean so we were falling apart and I was on Clonopin and Valium and two bottles of wine a night and I had like no inner fire he leaves me a week, not a week, a month before our wedding. And I go to Martha's Vineyard to like either drink myself to death or what. First, I go back to New York and like, do you remember and say anything when Ione Sky goes to the IRS or like the tax people that are like um, auditing her dad in the old home? I can't remember. I, I was not a huge, huge for that movie. Sorry. No, no apologies. I mean, so she just has this sort of. I'm sorry, I can't meet you there in that moment. But yeah, it's okay. She's like pleading to these like tax people. Like, um, I know I look like shit. I know I feel it, and I feel like shit. And will somebody just talk to me? Would somebody just help me? Because like her dad's in prison, and I like went back to like all the magazines I used to work for, and I was like had been like spat out of the rock and roll machine and was like 50 pounds of bloat and always hung over. And I was like interviewing for these old jobs I'd had, like trying to get back into my old life. And wow. I was like, somebody held me and everyone was like, no, thanks. And I, so then I ended up in, in Martha's Vineyard and that led to this like suicide attempt that, that turned into a Kundalini awakening. And then my life changed and I started writing channeling the goddess through my, through my work. And, and the rest is her story. (laughs) Wow. I love it. I love that you have that kind of gritty rock and roll background. And I wouldn't know that I think by experiencing you now, which is, I guess is, is a beautiful thing. That means like the transformation has happened, right? Yeah. the transformation has happened, but you know, you don't have like a, you know, haggard rock star s like groupy look. <laughs> <laughs> I'm banger sisters. Yeah, yeah you look pretty fresh. 
you feeling fresh. <laughs> so, but I like, but I love that about your story. I feel like sometimes like in the space of the wellness or spirituality scene, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point in this podcast, but I feel like I don't always, I don't always trust people if they haven't been to the dark side. You know, I'm like, I, I absolutely I, know what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm like, if you <laughs> haven't like been in an orgy, done lots of drugs, like done some cults, broken the law, been in a cult, like there's a list of things. That you, so people, people listening before you hire a coach or mentor, just make sure they've either, you know, they've had a, some Feel sort it. of a CD past. How many underworld, how many underworld visits have you had, you know, descents? How many times have you descended? Yeah. And come back the other side because I mean, that is, it's, it's really epic. It's very different if, you know, you've sort of been coasting on positive zone and you just, I've always been sort of coasting there and, you know, I'm sure those people are incredible people and that's their karmic journey and no, no hate from me on that. And, um, I really personally trust people that have, you know, been in dark zones and come out the other side. Some of my best friends, I think are all kind of in that zone too. And my partner too. It's like, I'm like, babe, why don't you write about some of the fucked up shit you've done? He's like, no, we don't need to go there, you know, but it makes me trust somebody when they're actually, also open about it, right? Like you're not ashamed to be like, oh yeah. Very open about it. Yeah, that's so refreshing too. And I just feel like when someone is like not hiding and not ashamed, I I mean, I write about this too, I think. And just like that to me is like real authenticity for lack lack of a less less sort of cliched word. (laughs) Here as you mature, because when I was younger, I always kind of, I had to be the center of attention and I, and I thought everybody was always watching me and everyone was always, you know, paying attention to me and focusing on me. And you get older and you realize that's not true. And so it's kind of like you're working in a glass house, but you don't like, I, when I'm writing, my friend Hillary Branoff once said like that, whatever my human design is that like, maybe people are watching, but I'm like, I'm in a house without a roof and I'm like going about my life. And I don't know that they can see in. And I um, kind of write like that. Like, I don't know that. Do people see this? I don't know. Right, and so right. I write like maybe no one will ever see this, and I can That's, say what I want, yeah. as opposed to maiden. Like everyone's watching. I have to say the right thing. I have to do the right thing. I have to right. be the right thing. Now I'm just like yeah. nobody. Like it's kind of a power of like cultural invisibility, as far as like feeling like what's the payoff if I'm no longer like you know center shelf patriarchal like um, you know. Um, ideal of beauty and youth and all that. Well, stuff. see, that's so funny because I'm looking at you and I'm like, you're so beautiful and like so shiny and, and like dewy. And so well, anyway, I, I, also, I also just want to challenge the perception there. It's like, I don't well, know. Yeah. Yes. And it is something that truly that midlife women, women at midlife begin to experience is that mm-hmm. I see we as women, I believe that women start to see each other more like, oh my God, you've been through so much. You're so sensual and wise. And we're like, see a beauty. And we're like, you're just glowing. You, you're radiant, you know, because we're attracted to each other's beauty. And we see, you know, in each other, like true beauty. Like we, we see ourselves in each other, everything we've survived by now and everything we know and all the ways we're unlearning. It's very attractive to us. But to a patriarchalized man who's, who's so programmed about what, you know, what is attractive, it's what you see in media what you see in movies, what you see in commercials. Boom. This is beauty. This very small lens, this very small 
window. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. aging out of that lets them pay off. It, you know, it, if it's not a story, if it's, it's, if they think it's, it's like a story of loss in one way of like, I'm losing my visibility. I'm losing my being centered as a maiden, a story of gain that a freedom of, of not being so under the lens. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's a freedom to it as well. And yeah. Um, I always wondered how middle-aged women or women past a certain age had so much confidence or the freedom to, you know, mm. they said the thing and they didn't, mm. but, you know, and so what I like to say is like, I have, I have so much less fucks for what people think about me or um, think of me or say, say about me and so many more fucks for what matters. And yeah. the fucks for what matters far outweigh the fucks for, and, and that's yeah. something that you gain in middle age and in, yeah. in my experience and with the women I work with. Okay. What do you consider middle age? Cause I'm thinking like 50, but you don't look 50. So what is middle age to you? 43. Okay. So middle age to you feels like, what is it? 40, 42? I would say mid forties. Okay. Yeah. I'm creeping there. I'm like letting, I'm really letting go of like any kind of maidenhood, which like I've kind of been straddling, you know, and people do tell me I look young and stuff. And like, my work is to not be like, that's a compliment because it, it would mean that looking older is a bad thing, you know, and, and I don't believe that it is. So, um, I, I want to, I want to be my age, which is yeah. true, right? Totally. <laughs> totally. The, yeah. I mean, a part of me does, I like someone recently was like, you look so young. And I, I mean, I appreciate it because sometimes I feel so old. I feel like a little <laughs> like a real a little dried up depending on the day so it made me feel like oh I'm still sort of like like wet and dewy not so much around like I'm still like young and fuckable or something like that but I felt like but you know maybe that's also indoctrination in a way or you know sort of trying to beat the clock of death and going, oh, okay, great. I still have some more time or That's something. That's what it comes, our fear of yeah. aging is just yeah. our fear of death. Yeah. And totally. that takes a lot of, you know, that, 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 that gives it a much more compassionate lens. You can understand why people so are afraid of aging. Of course. That is. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And Mortality. <laughs> exactly. 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 Okay. So what spiritual tradition or tell me a little bit about your like sort of uh, spiritual background and where you are today versus where you are before um, trainings or, you know, kind of like uh te- teachers, whatever feels relevant. Cause you mentioned goddess, you mentioned um, the goddess speaking through you. And I want to hear more about that. Well, it sounds so narcissistic when I hear it. Why? We all, you know, all of us awakened women hear the goddess. Well, but not everybody uses that terminology. So I I think that speaks to a relationship that you have and that you've worked with. So I want to hear a little bit about that. Well, back to Tim, which it's funny that you asked his name because um, the book, I start the book out about him and like um, losing that love and um, that was my invitation to the underworld. Everyone's is warded differently, but <laughs> they come in many ways, you know, that was mine. Um, and um, and so he, I kind of wanted to be whatever he wanted me to be. Um, and he was an atheist. So I really was starting to go down that track with him because I only had a relationship to our patriarchal father who was 
I was dragged to church on Sundays. He was always mad at us. I didn't know right. why I'd call. He wouldn't answer what the fuck, you know? So I just, right. I really didn't ever, I was like, wow, I actually like have been faking the God thing. So atheism. Okay. If that's, I mean, he was, Tim was my God, you know? So if that's what he believed, that's what I believe. Um, and, and so when I had, uh, this, um, uh, suicide attempt, um, the, the, the force that saved me that came was, um, just like the embodiment of Shakti. It was like the great mother. It was um, uh, the, it was what I'd been searching for, like, you know, a, a, you know, um, a dying man in the desert of my life for, <laughs> for 30 years before that. And uh, it, it was I, I remember being like, OK, if this energy is here, I can face this world, you know, mm. it, it met me. It held me, it transformed me. And then it, and then it, there was a caveat involved in all that, which was, okay, this, I, the goddess speaking to me, like I've saved your life. And the caveat for a second chance is that you work for me now. You do my, you do my work. And, you know, you're telling someone who at the end of a Saturn return. So, you know, in most Saturn returns or midlife crises or big, you know, there's this dissolution of the identity. Um, and, and so my me as a rock journalist that I didn't have that anymore and nothing else that had died in me, but nothing else had risen in me. And so to, to be like given a job was which to say or to say a purpose, which we all need, we all need a reason to get up in the morning. Yeah. Um, so that um, I just started to write like I'd never written before. I often say I like dated so many musicians and artists because I always felt like, um, you know, and that like a lot of big 80s movies, you see like a lot of homeless men in New York City, like gathered around a burning trash can in an alley, you know, mm, getting warm. Right. I was like a homeless orphan that would find the fire of another and stay warm. I had no fire of my own. So I remember like Tim was my, my fire. He kept his passion for his art, kept me warm. And that's why I worked at Rolling Stone, all those places. Like, tell me about what it's like to have a passion. This is as close as I can get. You right. Know? Yeah. So to suddenly start like a pen on fire was it continues to like from going to like writing used to be like blood from a stone. <laughs> and then it was just like waking me up all hours, channeling, channeling, channeling. And now I can work with it, you know, where it's like something I can turn on and off, but it used to just overwhelm me for years. Mm. And now I, you know, now I, I work with it. That's so beautiful hearing that. Cause I think, I hope that inspires people listening that it can, your passion can, come like it, if even if you're like in your late 20s even if you're 30 40 50 I, it can arrive it can arise in you and i think that's beautiful and i love just hearing that once it was the channels open then the channels open and i'm curious so did you have a languaging around shakti goddess was a book that you read that kind of like flickered something was there an image a film a poem or was it just total sort of um direct transmission from your internal space so it, it was sort of like i am the goddess the, the word shakti was used in this you know um numinous experience 
And then there were, it was like a beginning of following signs, which is what happens to women. So then they start to like, they read one book, it leads them to the next book. And there's a, a path that starts, you know, and then you, you hear yeah. about Alexander Roxo and then you meet, yeah, you meet, yeah. and then, you know, yeah. I mean, we all kind of pass each other along. Yeah. And, um, and I, you know, I say, I love that about women's writers where like bell hooks quotes, Sylvia Plath or, you know, like they pass each other off. Like if you like my wisdom, go to this woman. Um, and so that's, they kind of whispered each other, you know, okay, now read her work. Now read her work. Now read her work in each book. And so I picked up a first, you know, I literally walked into one of those, like, you know, I was in um, New England at the time where I am now. And I walked into one of those like magic shops, you know, you open the door and everything chimes and <laughs> you go to the shelf and it's like magic 101. Yeah. Which is 101. Okay. You know, yeah. And suddenly you're in the old rabbit hole <laughs> shit, but it starts off there. You know? yeah. Totally. For me, that was definitely, I mean, there were different phases, but enchantments in New York City. Did you ever yeah. go there? Yeah. Yeah. So iconic in terms of like, you know, a store that you go in and there's cats and there's like a cat named Eros and a cat with one yeah. eye, you know, it's, it's so, so, so epic. Yeah. So do you consider though that at that time you entered into a, a, predic- a, a particular tradition or um, you were sort of like, what do you, how do you define that? And I'm just curious because like, uh, I think that, I mean, I have my own reasons I'll tell you after because I... I'm always asking myself that question and I can never find any box, but like, do you have a box that you kind of consider? Oh, how interesting. I don't, I, I think of myself as very much like in the tradition of Woodman, you know? So like, I think of myself as a Jungian spiritualist and also like Celtic. Um, so I definitely think of myself as like Celtic, Avalonian, the priestesshood, you know, um, I have like some Nordic Freya going on, but I, and I have, I'm definitely of the Isis, um, of the Black Madonna, Isis, Magdalene line, you yeah. know. So would you consider yeah. that like I'm a follower of the, you know, the goddess throughout all cultures and traditions or... Yeah, because yeah. I say for me it or it 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 or it starts with the Black Madonna. Yeah. yeah, and so then like yeah, I mean I bow to every goddess of the, every tradition. All tradition. For yeah, sure they're all respected and honored and yeah. yeah, beautiful. And then for those people who don't know who who Woodman is, I assume you're speaking about Marion Woodman and who I also yeah, love. Mary. And so, do you have a background in depth psychology? Did you study at a school? Did you are you self taught like? Yeah, no, I'm I, I, I'm the daughter of a writer and a psychiatrist, but I, um, you know, I, he was very, my dad is very Freudian before he uh-huh. retired and yeah, um, Young's obviously quite different. Um, but no, I mean, I just studied Woodman. Yeah. You know, I mean, this comes up a lot with this book. It's like, shouldn't you have a PhD to do this work? You know? Oh, hell no, girl. Woman. (laughs) Who says that? Who said that to you? Well, I mean, you don't have to say names or anything, but like a a publication or clients or? The publishing house. Okay. Okay. So interesting. (laughs) It's so interesting because I actually was like uh, applied to go get, go back to school to get a PhD. Um, 
in-depth psychology because I loved up psychology so much. And I then became really scared that it was going to be really masculine focused. I looked at the classes. Uh, they, they were seemed to be like very white male focused. And I thought, girl, you are a rule breaker, a disruptor. You're so into the feminine. Like you're going to want to like throw apples at the, these teachers heads. Like you're going to just yeah. be angry and agitated. And I already did that when I was younger and, and sitting in spiritual traditions that didn't include the Shakti, the feminine energy. And I was like, I'm not going to go back and do that right now. If I'm like 65 and I'm like feeling like, okay, I'm ready, but like, I have way too much fire and energy. So it's just curious when like for you, if it came from like, you're just so passionate about Marion Woodman's work that you just dove in, which it sounds like. Well, I, then nothing worked for me. And, um, I had been studying the goddess Anana for a really long time. And had and you know started seeing also woodmen talking about the mature feminine but not talking about the immature feminine and i knew i was certainly that and that the collective was certainly stuck in that then i got obsessed with rites of passage which ones are we missing why are we so uninitiated and immature and then i married it with woodman's work that there must be a bridge from the immature feminine to the mature feminine and that um that was a, the missing rite of passage and it could be and her her um her um, blueprint for rebirth could be followed alongside of Anana's blueprint for rebirth. And I could marry the two. I could teach on the Jungian um, uh -huh. lens of rebirth and I could marry it, marry it with Anana's um, rebirth. From, Beautiful. You know, through, from heaven through hell back up to earth again. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. And I know that you go into Inanna's story in your book. So everyone listening who, I mean, if Sarah and I are geeking out a little, because this is a place I think we both have a lot of passion. So if you're like, I don't know who Jung, Freud, Marianne Woodman, Inanna, don't worry, you can read her book or, you know, do some, some research in that regard. Because there's, it's really entering into the space of, um, another lens at which we can experience and understand ourselves. And I do also feel like the depth psychology lens is a very spiritual kind of Western uh, or a, a, a way that our Western mind can um, inhabit or sort of explain our spirituality. Yes. So important. Yeah. So, okay. Who else are your, you know, big, big influences besides the ones you just mentioned, like your influences or teachers or, you know, other, um, yeah. um I talk about Maureen Murdoch a lot who wrote the heroine's journey. Um, I love Stephen Cope. Um, he, he wrote the great work of your life and the yoga of your life and the great work of your life, um, is about Dharma and the you know when you were saying oh you know your gift can arise in your 30s or whatever it's the idea that your dharma actually changes to whatever is in front of you on your path at that time that that is your purpose or to whatever wound has presented or that is your dharma at that time so our dharma does shift and change like very cyclical and snake-like like us yeah beautiful, yeah. beautiful. we don't you know i don't know about you but i've reincarnated in my I've, I've been doing this work for 11 years and I probably reincarnate at least every two years yeah I don't know like I feel like you do the same thing I do and I'm kind of been on the cusp of something but I've been like Whoa! 
lot. <laughs> I'm waiting for like the next iteration to, I'm, I'm in the, I've been in the waiting, but last year I was kind of like grumpy about it. And I was just like, yeah, if it's not going to present itself, like what the next iteration is, then I'm going to abandon like what I've created. And I could feel that impulse in me, kind of that the wild maiden or whatever you'd like to call her. And somehow I, I, tri- I, I moved through that. And I just was, came into a place of like, I'm going to be in the gratitude of like what I've created, what I've written. I'm still going to just stand by my book, even though like, it feels like me four years ago. Cause that's, yeah. you know, how long it takes. Oh. And I'm like, Oh, this isn't me anymore. I've already, you know, matured past this, but I'm like, I'm going to stand by it. And then I'm going to be patient. And that feels like a maturation instead of kind of like needing to be what's next, what's next, what's next. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Feels really good. Yeah. But allowing that, I, I think, you know, that's the path of an artist, a writer, where you do allow your wounds, your lessons, the obstacles, the life experiences to inform your work. And you're not afraid of that. And I think one of the problems with like modern branding and marketing is that you create a fixed identity or not you, but one may create a fixed identity where, and I always tell this to women, I'm like, don't spend a bunch of money on branding and marketing and website because you're paying for your prison. Yes. Oh my God. That is an app. That's gorgeous. Did everyone hear that? You're paying for your prison. Ah! Getting out of that, you know, like when you start to be like, Oh, Oh. And then you're like, I built this cage for myself. <laughs> now I have to tear it down. Totally. Yeah. And imagine people that spend, you know, $10,000, $20,000 on branding and website only to find a year later that it's not resonant with you and you don't know how to fix your own website or change it. So anyway, I'm like, oh, very- that's been my story. You, you have? I, oh, I, for years, I mean, this lot, like last year was my midlife crisis and it let like, I'd been just people pleasing and just saying yes and being whatever anybody wanted me to do and be and say and all this stuff for years. And then I was like looking back and I, the site is still up like this hodgepodge of a woman going, sure. Okay, fine. To like everything that people put up and none of it resonates, you know, it's all just like, whatever you guys want. I just want to be easy. Oh God. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. So we're tearing it down. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I totally, I feel you. And I think I was, I also kind of avoided conflict in many different work relationships yeah. in the past. And I find it so helpful to have a website that I know how to navigate and change yeah. la- languaging on. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Cause sometimes I'll be like, oh my gosh, that word no longer. It's like one word that I need to go make it sure it's not it has to go. <laughs> Nobody else can see it. They breeze right past it, but you're like, yeah. yeah. All right. Let's talk about your book. And and okay. I'd love to just first hear, like for those people um, listening who, who don't know much about it, like what's the premise of it? Well, what I kind of touched on is, um, so about eight seven, seven or eight years ago, I had taught a, a wild woman retreat and it was really just the glorified sleepover. It was a bunch of women in their thirties complaining and being in cliques and gossiping and there was drama and it was just like a glorified sleepover. And my friend who was more mature than I was at the time, who, who, um, 
who co-taught with me, she really named it. So like we sold it out, like on Instagram, everything looks awesome. It looked like it rocked, you know? And then like, I was lying in bed and I was doing what I do when I don't want to look at something. I eat everything I can find. And I was like in bed and I was like, I got to go to the grocery store and get more because I'm not hurting yet, you know? (laughs) And phone rings and, and my, my friend goes, I'm never doing retreat like that again. And I was like, well, why not? And even though I, I, I knew, but she was going to name it. And she was like, those weren't women. Those were girls. And, and she was like, and something I think you should look at is that it was 80% your audience. So these are a reflection of you. So oh. Years ago. oh, yeah. And I was like, I'm going to take that all into consideration. <laughs> and they're like, Finds like it's a piece of furniture to eat because I'm out of food. And then it was like so bad back. Like I still work with this all the time. And so um I I did. I I I just shut everything off for like 14 days. I shut my phone off. I, you know, I and there was this big walk-in closet, um, like a Narnia closet. And I would just go in and pray in the middle of the day. You could close it. I, I like when it's like a bright day and you can go in like a dark bathroom and just be like, so I go to this dark closet and I'd pray and I'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, why are the women that I'm attracting petty, reactive, jealous, insecure, vain, dramatic, fragile? And um, I just whether and it was reading some Marian, it was reading Anana, and I just started to piece it all together. Like there is a bridge that is buried. What's that called? It's a rite of passage was a rite of passage. And so uh, the idea of Marion had said she left this this word mature feminine and I and then there was so there must be an immature feminine. but She left no bridge. And that's what I started to piece together in that time. I remember there's like a Taylor Swift lyric that says, um, I never grew up. It's getting so old. And and that's how I felt. I was like, when am I going to grow up? What we're in yeah. our 30s and we're at a glorified sleepover. We use the tagline uh, the we- that Western women will save the world, not these women. Right. And so these women are utterly divided against each other. Right. And themselves. And I had to be like, OK, so this is how I am. And so what is the opposite of this? And what is maturity and how do I grow up? I'm unmothered. And oh, I have, a, you know, all that. And that led to this book made into mother and this process. And I started leading, leading, you know, courses and retreats and, uh, and sounds true said, you know, we'd like a book on this. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. I mean, it's such a great way to feel like the thing that I imagine your book is about by telling that story about the retreat. I'm like, oh, I can totally feel that. And I mean, I've definitely had those, those moments too, with clients and, and on, and retreats and things. And, um, as I'm continuing to grow, it's like, I, it's like letting people slip away. Like, I think over the last few years, like a part of me was like, I think there's going to be a lot of people that followed me or came to my stuff for reasons that were different than now. Sure. And that's fabulous. You know, I'm like, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm like, don't come to my stuff if you want to know how to have social media following. That's not what yeah. I'm here to teach you. You know, like right. I'm not, I'm here like for something else. So let me just make sure that that's what I'm emanating. And if I'm emanating 
whatever it is, whether it's conscious or or unconscious. And I think obviously some of those things are unconscious, like that we call in, like we, my friend Ruby Warrington and I call it matching baggage, but it's also like matching unconscious, like, which could be viewed as baggage. You're just like, you don't really realize that you both have the same type of, you know, dirty toilet paper stuck to your shoe. Like no one told either of you. And you're like, oh my God, why are we friends? (laughs) And then later you're like, oh my God, we both had that thing hanging on to us, whatever, whatever the the unconscious pattern or the coming to light pattern, you know, which is, it's beautiful to laugh about it. I mean, I think the fact that you're talking about it with humor is just everything because it is hilarious to think back on those moments and go like, you know, you could, you could write, you can make an incredible short film about that retreat one day if you want. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I have, I have to laugh. This, this stuff is hard. It's dark. It's hard. It's, you know, it's like it's, it's about what the patriarchy has done to the feminine and our mothers and our mothers before didn't get to grow up and become sovereign and bloom, you know, and uh, they pass these small, this smallness, this fragility, this this um, insecurity and reactivity to us. And, uh, you know, obviously we're in a time where all gener- where, where if you're awakened, you're called to end, you know, the pain of your generational line. So it's, it's really heavy. So it's like, you have to have a sense of humor about yourself and, you know, um, and it keeps people loose and open. You're just laughing. And then like, you know, you can, you're not so brittle that you'll break when I'm talking about the next hard thing, you're kind of land softly. And I, 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 people don't know that I'm funny, but you absolutely have to be in this, in this work. I totally agree. I agree. It's harder to, it's harder to land humor, like on Instagram, if it's just like 3d and like, I mean, uh, 2d and, um, you know, I, I kind of made up, I was like, I'm not going to make TikTok comedy videos of myself. Like, I'm just, I'm going to put my energy into writing, but I get how people like, you know, bring out their spirit in that kind of a way, but it's nice. Yeah, to- you would never know I was funny on Instagram. Yeah, I'm me like too. Me too. Dark death mother on Instagram. Yeah, which I love. Um, <laughs> so speaking of dark death mother, I was going to ask, <laughs> let's talk about the mother wound because you talk about this a lot and you just brought that in kind of talking about how we, I'm paraphrasing, but that we are healing the intergenerational wounding of our mothers or our you know, foremothers, grandmothers, et cetera. Um, and I'd love to hear more about that. Like, what is that? How, how has that um, shown up in your life? And why is that important to you? Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I, I didn't know what I was getting into with this work. I just knew that this was my work and it was handed to me. Yeah, yeah you know, I call it getting an assignment. Yeah. The goddess gives you assignments and, uh, she said, here's your work, maiden mother, maturity. Um, and it led to the mother wound because once I started playing around with the idea of, okay, I know what wounded maiden looks like me and all the women I attract. <laughs> there was a point when I ate. I, I almost spelled out hate because we don't say my, I don't say it to around my four year old. So it's okay, almost like H A E H. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
<laughs> there was a point when I H-A-T-E-D, <laughs> the, the women that were my reflection so much, uh, not to any of their fault of their own. It was my reflection. I just wanted to be like, somehow it's just all them. It has nothing to do with me. And I remember I wanted like mace for like all these like alley cats that were like around me. And I was like, okay, because I was like, okay, they're not going anywhere and I have to heal them. But, and the only way I can heal anybody is by healing myself. So what, you know, what about them do I have? And I started writing and I was like, I have it all. I have it all. I have all these wounded traits, which I now call patriarchalized feminine traits, because what it got into was, okay, so I know what the wounded maiden is. What is the mother? And it was like, at first it was just like the opposite game. Like if, if I'm very fragile, then the mother is resilient and strong. If I am reactive, the mother is responsive. You know, if, if I, if I am, um, insecure, the mother is deeply secure. If I, you right. know, like I, yeah, you know, right. like, well, yes. And then I was like putting together like what is womanhood, which is like a big piece of the myth of Anana. Like, what's true womanhood? You know, like the, the what it is, what is it to be a representation of the goddess on earth is true womanhood in in that lens. And then um, and and then I was like, okay, well, here's an archetypal mother. And then I started to compare it to my own mother, and I saw that my mother was a wounded maiden. My mother never came into these healthy traits, which is to say to bloom. And that these traits I realized were, you know, um, done, you know, done to the feminine um, in the way that like, you know, um, the feminine is a, a threat to the toxic masculine. So the way mother earth has been like raped and fracked and tamed and domesticated. So had the feminine in, in women and in men. And so then I saw that what that had been done to the external mother had been done to our mothers, the domestication and the, you know, the, the, um, the total like oppression and obliteration and everything to their souls, to their feminine spirit. So then I realized that my, you know, and then I got in there and I was like, well, what did I need from my mother? And I created this, this inner mother archetype of what I needed then who I need to be now and what the world needs us to be as women. But um, the first step was this like grief of like what I didn't have and the kind of mother I didn't have. Like I say, it's like one thing to have had a mother, but it's an entirely another thing to have been mothered. And so what is that? And I was never mothered. I was never touched. I was never loved. I was, you know, so, and then she died young. She did. How old was she and how old were you? She was 45. So she's like my peer now. And then where, where it got to was like, um, now that I see her as a peer and now I see, I'm no longer angry because I've done so much work. I'm no longer angry at my mother. I'm angry for my mother. She Mm -hmm. didn't have the capacity to be a mother. She was merely surviving like so many women under patriarchy. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't um, know how to care for herself, let alone us. Yeah. Yeah. My, I have some similar stuff with my mom, though she's still living, but yeah, that same, like, wasn't able to care. I mean, care. Yes. in the surviving, you know, and I think about that a lot. Like my mom and grandma didn't, they couldn't really stand up and advocate for themselves. And I mean, maybe they could have, but, um, they were really just trying to like make ends meet and get food on the table and childcare. And, you know, it was totally different, like totally different. Um, yeah. So you, so in kind of losing your mother when you were young, you're able to really examine this 
and you needed, it sounds like you needed to examine this in order for your mother self to come online. Yeah, because, it, you know, it doesn't always have to tie in with this, but like it did, it does tie into the fact that four and a half years ago, I had a little girl on my own um, and uh, I had never been mothered as a verb. Yeah. So nor did I have one to whisper secrets or nor did, nor because of loss of village, did I have anybody to help me? I was going, you know, they say, you know, um, necessity is the, is the mother of invention, right? I, 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 it was absolutely necessary that I, that I learned how to mother myself Yeah. so that I could take care of this. Because what I learned is there are always two children in the room. Now there's the one inside of me and there's the one outside. So I have to care for this one to be, yeah. and, and, and I have to mother myself well to be a good mother to Ava. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And so on that note, I was really touched by the story you shared in your book about your experience with, I, I think it's the father of your daughter, the ayahuasca shaman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I was really touched by how, how, you know, just honest you were about needing or looking for someone outside of yourself. And and I'd love to hear um, a little bit more about that. And it seems like it was a big part of your own transformation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think the last piece I wanted to say about like, once we learn how to listen to ourselves and mother ourselves and tend to this, we learn how to tend to the world. We learn how to yeah. tend to the problems of the world. And that's why this work is so important. Yeah. Um, so it sounded like, you know, for those people who haven't read it yet, which you haven't, um, it sounded like you, you were seeking healing outside of yourself, right? With someone guiding you, a male teacher. guide. Yeah. I was always doing that. Like he was just the last stop on the road. (laughs) Finally, I got it. Nobody outside of me is going to save me. In fact, the people that say I'm your savior are the ones who are going to fucking harm you the most. I know. Stay stay away from them. Um, (laughs) So you went to Peru and you went to have this healing. You're like, I'm going to go heal myself. I'm going to work on my Lyme disease. I'm going to, and you end up getting pregnant. That's wow. Yeah. Pregnant by the shaman. It's a spiritual lifetime movie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would tag team with you on that because I didn't get, I didn't get pregnant by my ayahuasca shaman, but like got into a really dramatic off and on romance and then like stood up to him and his family and said, Hey, it was not okay that he hit on me. And then I was kind of ostracized from the community. And then one of my clients started dating him. And then I was like, Oh my God. So anyway, I, I, oh, I, I mean, Aya and drama go very well together, you know, the Aya communities. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. With so, a bunch of just like people running around pretending to have all these gifts and telling everybody what to do with their lives. And it's so weird. So I, um, I don't know how to say this without like saying something that's going to like get me lit on fire again, but, um, please, I, 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 I would love that. <laughs> I What'd you say? I would love you lit on fire. And I mean, as long as it's like a good regenerative fire, not harmful fire for anybody. <laughs> it's a bit of a clearing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I um well I'm a very like I love the idea. I love the ultimate idea behind a cult, which is to say 
I love the idea of people leaving the fucking patriarchy. I love the idea of people living outside the walls of patriarchy under like under what guides them and moves them. And whether that be the goddess or nature or, you know, regenerate, just like leaving it. So like for me, we are all in the cult of the patriarchy and we are you know doing what it, it's the same thing as actually leaving a cult like it takes a really long time you've been utterly brainwashed like people like try to bring you back in and gaslight you it's not that bad and like you right, know right, and right, right. one night you just have to like leave with just a bag and your baby to get out because everybody else is going to keep you in <laughs> yeah 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 so exactly. it's like, i we already are in one so like cults get a really bad rap because of like narcissistic toxic masculine gurus hierarchical gurus. but they like matriarchies i believe in feminist communes and um but before that all this i was doing my research the way i do which was doing everything the wrong way and learning through pain and so i've been in and out of cults for years and this just that here i was Lonely as fuck. Can you give un- us a smattering of some of the cults you're written and out of? Just like a little. <laughs> They're also like no name boring. You oh, know, okay, okay. like this guru's place. This okay, ashram. got it, got it, got it. All, they're all cults. Ashrams. Okay. Are, I mean, you know okay. I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're micro, micro, they're microcosms of cultures. They're, yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I. But then if they're like blaring, glaring like a kundalini cult or something, it's like the ones where I suddenly, you know, it's the frog in hot water thing. It's like the water's turning up and then I'm like, oh, I'm in a cold. No way. <laughs> you know, I don't go in like nobody actually goes, I want to join. it. Like it's like right. all of a sudden you're like, he's controlling my life and I can't get out. Like, oh, shit. You know, I've lost all contact with friends and family and uh, I'm all alone, you know. Um, and I'm dressing for him. And so wait, this happened when you were in Peru with the ayahuasca show. In Peru, it was kind of like, who doesn't want to leave this culture? So I'm, I was often like, and I was still looking for my father on the outside. I hadn't done the inner masculine work, you know? So, and here is this, you know, I have, I have Lyme, I'm lonely. Um, I want a baby, got one, um, didn't, didn't know that how it happened. Um, but you know, I go to the top of the mountain in Peru for my 36th birthday. Um, and, um, the shaman is this gorgeous British man and sweeps me off my feet and, you know, for a while, and it was very much like beauty and the beast, but like this gorgeous, huge compound on the, you know, that he built by his hands on top of a mountain but like instead of like it's starting out as the beast that turns to like a lovely king it starts out as like a lovely king who then turns into the beast after the doors are locked you know what i mean so yeah like a little bit more like bluebeardy or something yes so um that was the beginning of the end of my maiden life like i had to start fighting my own battles and how long were you there on and off for nine months which of course um yeah yeah. And then at some point you all were in a sexual relationship and you got pregnant. You mean by the second night? Oh. <laughs> were you like, I hope this isn't too personal, but was it a night that you had done medicine together and been in ceremony? Actually that night, I don't, I don't know. That night was like a normal dinner date or whatever. Okay. Got it. That got we it. should never have ever been on because I was uh-huh. just 
his client. Yeah. I didn't understand power structures. I didn't understand that I actually had no willpower. I didn't understand any of it. Yeah. Um, and this is how you learn. This is how you learn. Gosh. And then it became abusive. Yeah. And so then you ended up leaving. It became abusive. You ended up leaving pregnant. Uh, yeah. And is that, do you mind me asking I me, mean, obviously you don't have to answer this, but is the man still in your life or your daughter's life? No, I worked hard to get three restraining orders. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Like wow. showed up pregnant all alone in court. Yeah. Oh, wow. 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 And have you been able to now kind of like, even with the restraining orders and that stuff happening is, have you made peace with that phase and that time in a way? Well, yeah. I mean, this is the whole thing about getting older is like, who am I to call something bad or something good? Like started out, it started out a dream, ended up a nightmare. A lot of things start out like nightmares and something big and beautiful happens from it. Like, you know, so like he started and yes, he abused me. I got my beautiful daughter. So it's like, you can't, it's all one like life. It's totally painful and beautiful at once. Yeah. Wow. 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 Well, we can talk more about that later. So much to say on, you know, sort of like I've been wanting to over the years, just write about some of the experiences I've had with like male spiritual leaders, shaman healers. And it's so dark that it's like, every time I've gone to want to sit down and write it, it's just like, Oh my God, am I going to open the, this portal, you know, because sure. it's like, I, I wrote that that part puking with my eyes closed. So I don't even know, like, I haven't read it back. You know, I don't, I haven't read my book back. I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to read it. I, I, it doesn't feel finished. That's why like, I, yeah. I, I need to get better about like publicity meetings and stuff, but I'm like, what's happening? What? I I'm just like an old man that doesn't know what's going on because <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> So you mentioned earlier that you are leaving the divine feminine world. What the hell does that mean? Tell me. <laughs> well, the world as we know it. Um, and like, I've, I've kind of said my piece about this, like every time I'm like, do you want me to write more about that? I'm just like, you can move on now. You know, okay. it's like, I can move on. But um, the idea of like manifesting money and not talking about where it's going in this incredibly, yes. you know, painful world where it, that so many people are suffering in the idea of standing for the feminine and not advocating for what's happening to the earth right now with climate crisis the idea of building all this following only to support yourself and not tithing or turning towards places that could use it or women or children who could use it the idea of like endless photo shoots that that just play hand in hand with the patriarchy's idea that we that women's worth is their looks right. that are, you know i mean i don't i i read every bell hooks book without knowing what she looked like clarissa pinkola estes i have no idea what she looks all the greats didn't center their looks. It was what they had to say. Um, it still feels like there's like B school, like capitalist, cool girls, you know, pyramid. Um, and there's still a lot of hierarchy going on. There's, you know, um, there's the, of course, like in um, the white women's wellness, you know, celebrating, like um, highlighting um, black indigenous people of color was really a phase that I witnessed, like go like that. And it made me yeah. question myself as well. Um, there's a lot and there's a lot of toxic um, positivity when what we need to do is grieve and stop and slow down and feel 
and have our hearts broken for, for the world. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of hustle. There's, you know, there's a lot of the idea of like the spiritual celebrity instead of like celebrity creates the hierarchy and the individual narcissistic me against everyone else, me first, when really we, the only hope for this world is for us to come back into community and yeah. not, you know, celebrate the individual, but celebrate the community. So yeah, there's a lot I'm walking away from. Yeah. I love that. I wish we didn't have to, you know, consider that the divine feminine world, because like when I first heard that in my own spiritual journey, it was when I was 18, I accidentally joined a cult um, in Italy, but it ended up that a lot came from that experience, but it was a yogic um, community, you know, but at the time <laughs> I felt, cause I was in this yogic community, I felt the lack of the feminine Shakti. And I actually got in trouble for expressing myself there and um, was told like, I would never be able to lead a women's group again for that community because we came back all excited and open and riled up. And at that moment, it was perfect because I was like, oh, this is my mission to, to embody and, and bring the goddess into every space that I'm in. So I'm kind of like, it kind of pisses me off that people have co-opted like divine feminine as some like love and light, like buy my $10 course. Cause I'm still like divine feminine are all these different aspects of the feminine that are bigger than humanity that are bigger than what we can embody. Like they are the goddess and, um, yeah. And I, yeah, I don't like it when people take things that are, that I like. <laughs> And well, and there's a lot of colonizing that, you know, that white women do with each other. They steal each other's work. I'm so sick of seeing my work stolen, copied, and they're just, it's, it's unconscious patriarchal um, colonizing that, you know, this entitlement of white people to just take what they want and they don't realize. I know that's why I like, I, I either unfollow people that's work could be similar to mine or I mute them because I don't. And, and it's funny because over the years, I feel like a part of me wants to be like super supportive and show like, Oh my God, your work is so special. I love it. But a part of me is like, I can't put that woman's work in my head because it will unconsciously filter through me if it's close to my, you know what I mean? If it's something that's close to mine. So I'm very careful about that. Like I don't listen to people's stuff so much. I'll occasionally like go look at your Instagram, like a few things, but if I was following, I would start speaking like you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like people do it all the time. Yeah. I think people do it with me too. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you know, a part of me just, I, I've been thinking about like, you know, I, another teacher wrote about this, who I appreciate and about like graciousness and, and gratitude and honoring our teachers and honoring the, our influences. Um, and I think that there's a piece of me that like, I would really appreciate if more people, if they were actually, oh, yeah, absolutely. cite your teachers, cite your teachers, cite your teachers, cite your inspirations all yeah. the time. I sing oh. the praises of the women that I've learned from. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. And it is, it's like those of us who have are have a direct relationship with the with the darker aspects of the divine feminine, which are also divine, <laughs> so mm -hmm. divine as well. I think for us to continue to stand with those and present those in our work is so important. Yeah. Kind of like counteracts that other piece, mm -hmm. which me sometimes it's hard to like let all that exist on Instagram, but in my courses and in my book and my writing, I'm like, yeah, like that whole scene of like, 
I don't even want to talk, talk shit about it, but like, let's come back. Let's talk about Inanna. Let's talk about the black Madonna. Let's like, let's, let's sit in these places. Um, yeah. So I, I appreciate that. And I think that we can, you know, we can hold what we want. If the divine feminine or the goddess feels important to us, like people can't just take and take that, you know, and make goddess spirituality some like, you know, white dresses, you know, dancing in Tulum. Bless your heart. I'm so sorry. If that, <laughs> I've probably done it. So find a picture of me doing it and I will own it. You will photo. absolutely find photos of me doing it. <laughs> like I hold myself accountable. Yes. <laughs> me too. Yeah. And and on the podcast I did with Alex Eber, we talked a lot about we called it more like new age kind of stuff um, yeah. and talked a lot about that. And, and I think that's his, his tip. <laughs> yeah. And I fucking love it. I love it. And I, I, I think at the beginning of the quarantine, I've talked about this before on this podcast, I started really investigating how living in Venice and LA, I had sort of taken on some of the culture of using some language that actually was not me. And then I, wow. I really apologized for, you know, saying like, I manifested this or whatever, bless, yeah. bless you. If that's your path, it just no longer, you know, resonates with me as a teacher. And I think, yeah, it goes back to the maturing of the feminine, how we grow and we're able to look back and go, Oh, that was so cute. When I did that, it was embarrassing. Yeah. Bless your heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I know we're like going over on our time. Um, last thing, like, okay. How was the process of writing the book for you? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. I just, I talk about wanting to be saved. We have all these maiden moments where I'm like, somebody save me. This is like, and, and then, you know, I had several people trying to help me and nobody could help me because it was like, I had to do it alone. And then eventually I did what I should have done in the beginning, which was called in a ghostwriter who saved my ass. Um, Cause I finally figured out, oh, I'm not a writer. I'm a storyteller. Big fucking difference. I don't see the structure and the whole tracking and the blah, blah, blah. And like the present, you know, the grammar make being perfect. Like I tell you a story. And if you need to track that and change the grammar and do that, you can do that. I'm just going to keep telling stories. That's that's what you do. But I am not like a smarty pants. I'm a wise person, but I don't consider my self smart. I consider myself wise and they feel very different to me. <laughs> yeah. 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 Totally. So it was like being back in grade school and having somebody no, go, no, no F F minus and me going, I'll never get it. Oh, and shit. then finally, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. F That's minus. painful. That's painful. And then, and then Ooh. telling the story, having a ghostwriter be like, tell me the story about, you know, Peru. Okay. Ex you know, yeah. Dream. What a dream. I have a few friends that did that and that now keep writing books and they know immediately when they get the book deal, they hire the person. Hire the getting, writer. Yeah. Well, I, I wrote a ton of it. I wrote like 70% of it. And then there was parts when like the edits came back with like, and then I was teaching courses. I had clients. I was like, there's no way. And you're a mom. And oh my God, first of all, I'm a single mom, right? But during I COVID. I wrote it during a pandemic as a single mom. And my kid was never in school. Everything was shut down. It was just terrible. And also like climate crisis getting worse and worse for like, my editor would say like, there's a fire. We're not in this, you know, she's in Boulder. And my, my ghostwriter would be like, and she was in California we're in the fires, you know? And then 
there's another COVID. It was like writing during the apocalypse as a single mom. And um, yeah, so I, 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 I will, I told Jamie, it sounds true. I was like, if I, if I, if I ever write another book again, <laughs> like, but like Winona Ryder and Heather's like talking to her with like black face. If I ever write another book again, I'm going straight in with a ghostwriter, you know, like I'm not and, in this. And just see. so you know, Sarah, Sarah's black face is real, which is not, not a racial oh thing. Oh my God. No, a, a black face of soot. She, yeah, because <laughs> she's making a cigarette smoking um, gesture for those of you who can't see it because there's this, Heathers. there's this scene of Heathers where she looks like she just came out of a fire and her face is charred and she's smoking. So just wanted yeah. to give and the explanation. Veronica, you look like hell and veronica says i just got back just, that's what i was alluding to <laughs> a woman who was freshly from hell going here are my terms now yeah <laughs> yeah covered in soot well i'm glad that you made it through and i had a different i had a similar point but slightly different um good <laughs> because i've i've always been like the the straight a student like the smarty pants i'm gonna own up to that um and uh, there's a certain place with structure that I just, I, I don't have it. I don't have like, so I, I wrote like the first draft and I call it like the vomit draft, right? just get it all out. And then I just couldn't make sense of it. And my editor, Diana is incredible. And like, you know, gave me some ideas, but then I'm like, oh, we're talking about a surgery here. And that's the point where when I'm doing, like, I can't do that part as an artist. I'm like, here's my heart and soul, take it. And then like went deep with all of it and it's detailed, but it's just like very unorganized. So that's when I, I called my friend Ruby Warrington and I asked her, I was like, can I hire you to do surgery on my book? And I mean, I knew I was hiring her for like a two month job essentially. And so I was like, I know this is going to cost <laughs> your time is precious, but I, I don't care. Like what's it going to take? What is it? Gonna take? And she, I mean, she helped me and she's been such an amazing editor, um, like writer mentor for me for years, for years, for years. She helped me. Like when I, I kind of was like just coming from screenwriting and writing web, my web show and a feature script and like trying to organize it into something more like that had a message and was meaningful. She, she was really incredible. So wow. yeah, now she yeah, does that for a crap. lot of people. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I don't want to downplay like all the work I did on the book and like how grueling it was, but like, I also channel. So that's how I write. And once I channeled, I, I, you know, so it was like, felt very academic to, mm -hmm. to put it at the same time, like they made it accessible and I'm so grateful. And Jessica is just a, a witch doctor and sounds true. Gave me like three extensions. Oh, bless. That's great. Like they understood like what I was under as a single mom. And uh, they were, I don't think many other people would have done that. It was no, like, they're amazing, amazing, amazing. And a lot of women, I mean, mostly the women that I was working with there are just so amazing. So, well, I know this, this is an extra long juicy podcast. Cause I, we usually only go for an hour, but I feel like we could talk for a very long time and thank you for, for taking this much time to connect. And, um, you know, can you give us a little bit of like uh, where, what, what date the book comes out, where people can find you, what you have as far as offerings right now too? Sure. The book comes out on April 19th, 2022. So in about three months or a little less. And I'm thinking we'll, we'll air this during your pre-order. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 
Um, and, um, yeah, right now I'm leading a teacher training, a maiden and mother teacher training, and then, um, doing a maiden and mother retreat, closing my teacher training in ghost ranch in April, doing a maiden and mother retreat at this eco village in Vermont in June that I love. And a few people have already signed up, but we have like 20 more spaces. Um, and or more. Um, and we just posted about it. Um, and then teacher training in the fall starts again. Um, and I'm hoping to get some of my midlife work. Um, I'm calling it, you know, uh, the midlife midwife work, midwife cool. in your midlife. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. So I, 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 I haven't found anything as ecstatic and dramatic and um, just fascinating as the midlife crisis. I'm thoroughly in love with the midlife crisis. Oh my God. And we didn't even get to talk about that here. So next okay. time that was on my list. There are some other, <laughs> uh, some other questions we didn't get to, but we'll talk about that. So you can follow Sarah at Sarah of Magdalene on Instagram and um, refresh us on the full name of your book so that it's here. Maiden to Mother, Unlocking the Archetypal Journey into the Mature Feminine. Gorgeous. <laughs> so, so good to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alexandra. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review. Give us a five-star rating. All of that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.